Get almost pushed to your death by Billy Crystal. It's time for Pod Cusack. Welcome to Pod Cusack, the only podcast dedicated to and explicitly for Hollywood's most medium actor, John Cusack. I'm your host, Matt Strickland. Oh my God, I just couldn't be more excited for the pod today. We're talking America's Sweethearts, one of the Cusack movies I've seen the most amount of times. And it's fitting that our guests are two of America's Sweethearts. They're writers, producers, comedians, improvisers. I'm so excited to have them on the podcast for the first time. Catherine LeClaire and Kristen Lowe, thank you so much. How are you guys? So great. That was the best intro I've ever received in my life. Yeah. Well, uh, it's so great to see you guys. We haven't talked since probably pre-pandemic. And it's, it's great that we're, what's bringing us back together is John Cusack. So before we get into the movie, America's Sweethearts, I'd love to know your guys' opinions on John Cusack himself as an actor. Like, are you guys fluent in the filmography of the Cues, or what's what's your take on Cusack? I am not fluent. I have seen, um, is the Boombox one Say Anything? That Say Anything, yes. This, this reveals how much I know about him, which is that mm-hmm. I've seen, I didn't even know if it was a bad movie. Um, that is what I've seen. My relationship with John Cusack has always been like, hmm, that guy was relevant for a period of time. Is he hot? I can't tell. Was he like, I I just never knew how to feel about him. And that's the extent of my awareness. But I could, I could identify him visually. Like I would Mm -hmm. recognize his face, which is not something I could say about many, many, many actors. I'm very bad at knowing actors' faces and names for somebody who is interested in this as a career. In media. Right. Kristen, are you a Cusack fan? I have seen either Pretty in Pink or 16 Candles. I don't remember which one it was. In my mind, they're the same thing, but I do know he was in one. So, so may have, may have seen Cusack, uh, but that but that's really it. As, at least through IMDb, I don't think I've seen any of his films, which bodes even worse for me. Uh, and I over the course of watching this came to realize that I confuse John Cusack, Matthew Broderick and Charlie Sheen, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're, they're all part of like the greater, they all got their start in like the John Hughes sort of extended universe of the eighties. So they're from the, yeah, kind of the same in my mind, like that same like realm of, film uh but yeah that's that's kind of where my so i don't know i was really excited to begin my my john cusack journey with and what a film to to start with yeah what a film i will say that that's probably par for the course for this podcast most episodes start with what are my thoughts on john cusack i don't know i don't think about him i want to ask you so you do think about him are you a huge cusack head no so the joke of this podcast in the in the early the first few episodes where the reason I'm doing this podcast is because there were too many Nicolas Cage podcasts already. And I think I thought Cusack was a much bigger deal than he was. And I'm slowly learning over the course of recording this podcast is in my head, Cusack is right up there, A-list 
but like not a lot of people share that opinion. But maybe he was to like yeah. a certain generation that's slightly older than us because he was in a shit ton of movies. I feel like maybe I just missed the boat on it, but maybe I'm wrong. I feel like the more we talk about this, the more I'm validated in my uh, Cusack amnesia. Well, I will say he's been in a lot of huge movies, including the one we're going to talk about today, America's Sweethearts. Rom-com from 2001, July of 2001. We were so innocent the summer before, you know, 9-11 comes up on every podcast. <laughs> Actually, I have to point out that I sat down with my boyfriend to watch the movie and he was like, you know, I just want to point out this movie is pre 9-11 and that really, you know, sets the scene for the fact that this kind of film exists at all. You know, like we were, America was in a different place. America was in a very different place politically, spiritually, in terms of, you know, stereotyping certain groups of people, just a very different America than, you know, even six months later. Before we get into the plot, I like to talk about stats. First stat is the Cusack number. That is how many Cusacks are in the film. John and Joan are the two most well-known, but the third most well-known is the second Cusack that appears in this movie, and that's why the Cusack number of America's Sweethearts is two. John is the star, and Anne Cusack, his sister, plays Billy Crystal's assistant in the first couple scenes of the movie no kidding yeah that is ann cusack i like knowing that i don't Mm -hmm. think i remember her in the film it's a small role you might only recognize her she's most recognizable as um shirley baker from a league of their own the 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 woman who couldn't read (laughs) i I don't remember like (laughs) cusack research to do when i get off this call (laughs) You really don't, though. <laughs> I don't think anyone should know as much about the greater Cusack family uh, who's not a Cusack as me. That, that sentence didn't... You understood what I was saying. Next stat I'd like to talk about is box office. $93 million domestic at the box office. And that's, you know, pre-9-11 dollars. So this is a huge, huge hit. Uh, is that what, a lot of money? I don't know anything about yeah, it. Yeah, especially for a rom-com, you know. Everyone was talking about how huge of a movie bridesmaids was when it came out for a bunch of different reasons but mainly it was just like comedies don't make that much money you know and that made a hundred million or 110 million wow. this made almost that that's 10 years crazy. earlier that's because this movie is insane <laughs> it is insane but i it makes sense i think when you think about how like the cast is pretty stacked because you're stacked. right the cast yeah. is stacked I will say it, the the last stat I want to talk about is the just Rotten Tomatoes, thirty two percent. So despite <laughs> being is. a huge hit, it was not a beloved film by any stretch of the imagination. People went, you know. People went, and then they left, and then they reconsidered their choices. <laughs> yeah. Wait, and here's a stat that I need because you said you've seen this potentially the most of all Cusack movies. How many times have you seen this? I've probably seen this over ten times. Oh my God! Why? My sister had it on DVD. I think my my older sister really liked it, and me and my sister are pretty close in age, so we just watched a ton of movies together. And uh, you know, I'm 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 a fan of the rom com. I I think at the time I really thought uh, that Catherine Zeta Jones was quite a looker, and uh, I think I and also who doesn't love Billy Crystal? You know. So I think uh, I think I did actually really really like this movie a lot when I was a kid. 
Um, Liking it as a kid puts it in more context. I bet you like continuously revisit this film. I don't know. It's almost funnier to like it as a kid because as a kid, did you have any concept what a jacket was? No. Like we're getting into the plot now, so we should probably explain. Yeah, yeah, let's get into the plot. So overall, the plot is it's about a Hollywood star pair. They're together both on screen and off, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones and John Cusack, who have split up pre the movie and are forced back together either in reality or to pretend to be a back together. It sort of goes back and forth to try to sell this movie because since they split up, their careers have been on like sort of a downslope. But one thing I wanted to bring up before we get into the plot is the way it's set up with these, this like pair they're together on screen and off screen. I feel like it was much more of a thing from Hollywood in the 40s, you know, like Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney or Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, and they're all these movies together. And I couldn't think of a 90s couple that was, you know, it's like not like Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston were in any movies together. Um, yeah, I totally agree. It's a bizarre concept that made, like when they were like panning through like fake movies, like I was like, this is doesn't, feel real to me. I thought of Judy Garland too, and how you were just kind of like, like studios would just pair you off that way. And your life, your personal life was, I mean, I think that still exists. And it felt like this was very much like born out of the perception of celebrity coupledom versus reality and how much work goes into that. But I actually thought more about the, in terms of like what we experienced growing up, more of like the music industry. Like I thought of like Britney and Justin, like even That's though they, didn't, sure. like, they weren't like in film, but I felt like at that time, pop stars and boy bands that like were so popular that that's where a lot of that happened. Okay, still does, I guess. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it definitely felt like a more old timey thing, but let's get into the movie. So it opens, and I will I will say this: the first twenty minutes of the movie, I was like, "Man, I'm am I remembering this all wrong? This movie fucking rocks! It's very funny, it's very good." And then the rest of the movie happened, but I still I sort of stand by the first twenty minutes. I think are funny because it opens with basically a crib right from Singing in the Rain. Have either of you seen that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like it's it's this sort of featurette telling the history of this on-screen couple. And it's like clips oh, yeah. from all the movies that they were in together. And I really liked the names of the movies because they go through four and it's Autumn with Greg and Peg, which is very clearly like a When Harry Met Sally type ripoff. And then Requiem for an Outfielder, The Bench. And then my, the last one's my favorite is Sasha and the Optometrist. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really would see. I mean, especially if it was starring Cusack and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And and I feel like this is where Cusack is actually the best in the movie. And I I feel like he's actually having fun lampooning rom-coms. And then when the movie sort of turns into a rom-com, it's it's much less fun. I also feel like the movie, like, it could have skewered, like, Hollywood and PR more. Um, which he probably also would have liked, but I don't yeah. think it really did that very successfully. The opening in the first few minutes, I was like, oh, this is fun. I was like, and I was actually like, oh, like it's such a bummer that there really isn't space for like this type of film anymore. Like just given the cost of, and the, the profit that, you know, 
people need to make all it, it's like if you're not a franchise or super low budget or drama and i was like man i really miss this and then like as the film went on i was like oh maybe it's for the best <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but basically we we meet the, our main characters Cusack and Catherine Zeta-Jones via this little promotional video that Billy Crystal and Seth Green have put together and then we meet them and they are the PR flax for this like big studio that is the studio that has made all of these films with John Cusack and Catherine Zeta-Jones and uh, is sort of in dire straits because the last few haven't been a hit and they really want this one that's in the can but hasn't come out yet to be a big hit. Uh, And we meet Stanley Tucci, plays the studio head, and I think he's very funny in the movie. I actually liked his performance. I mean, Stanley Tucci's always great. And um, the movie that they're waiting on is being made by this guy, Hal Weidman, who is sort of like a Hal Ashby type, who is played by Christopher Walken. He makes every movie better. And I did like the detail that when they were like, he bought the Unabomber's cabin to... (laughs) So Stanley Tucci needs Billy Crystal to put on this big junket, get our two guys back together to then make this movie a hit and save, save Stanley Tucci's job and save Billy Crystal's job and save their careers. And they need, everyone needs this. Everyone has motivation for this movie to be a hit. Does he, does Stanley Tucci guarantee Billy Crystal will get his job back if he can successfully pull off the junket? I can't remember. It's also very unclear why he was fired. Yeah, well, I wrote that down too. It's like, I need you, Billy Crystal. You're the only person who can do it. But I just fired you. <laughs> he does end up making the deal that if he can pull off this junket, then he gets his job he back. It definitely felt like we were just seeing a lot of the studio notes of like, why today? Or so I knew like, fine, we'll throw it in because he needs his job back. <laughs> Which yeah. like, honestly, the beginning was fun. And so I was like, you know what? Like, fine, you need to just like get this like housekeeping out of the way to like go, go on your fun adventure. Like I'm willing to like get on board with that. Uh, I feel like, like the introduction of Seth Green's character was interesting. Like, we, like continue talking about it I was like very confused as to what role he played it felt to me like he wasn't exactly cast he just was like in so many shots they were like just like keep him in yeah. <laughs> like quite a few shots where he's sitting he's in like kind of like baggy clothes and just his hands in his pockets and I'm like what is <laughs> yeah I feel like his whole purpose is to be someone that Billy Crystal can talk at so he's not just talking straight into the camera lens. But I will say, I did write down, I thought that Seth Green does a lot of, like you said, he doesn't have very many lines, but he does a lot of silent body language acting that is actually very funny. He'll just like do weird, like exacerbated hand gestures. And I thought he was actually pretty, pretty solid. But yeah, they set up this junket, but how are we going to get our two stars there? And then Billy Crystal says, oh, I have, I have someone on the inside who can help get these two kids back together. And that's when we meet uh, our gal, Julia Roberts. Julia. This is the first, I guess, we're mentioning her. She is also in this movie, audience. Is. Can I just um, say, and maybe I'm jumping the plot here a little bit, but it took me quite a while into the movie to realize that they were sisters. Like, I same. completely mm-hmm. missed it when it was announced. It's like very flippantly said, I think. I only knew that because I've seen this movie just, you know, dozens and dozens of times. The the dynamics are set up very clear, though, when Catherine Zeta-Jones is a guest on Larry King, R.I.P. Because Catherine Zeta-Jones' character is this, like, clearly portrayed as a very full-of-herself, snobby, mean actress. And, I mean, and Julia Roberts is 
you know, her sister with a heart of gold. The one making it all work behind the scenes. Exactly. This was the point in the film where, I, like, to me, I thought it was teeing up like a, a romance or relationship between Billy Crystal and Julia Roberts. Because it very much feels like he's got a wand, she has a competing wand. How are they going to, like, navigate this? And there's clearly, like, all these questions about who they are and what they want as people that are not being answered by these, like, thankless jobs they're in. And yeah. it just, like, totally did not see I had the same inkling as well. I feel like age appropriate, that would have been a better movie. Because John Cusack needs to be the romantic lead for Julia Roberts, he can't be as like crazy and weird and out there as I mean, he is pretty we'll get to like all the crazy weird fucking <laughs> fucked up shit he does. Um, but they have to make him like somewhat likable to and normal so he could end up with Julia Roberts, spoiler alert. If they wanted to like really get the fangs out and like make fun of Hollywood proper, that would that would be the movie, you're, what you're describing. Yeah. But then, you know, the next scene is we do meet John Cusack. So he has since broken up with uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones's character and is basically living at this rehab facility. And I will say I did like, they try to get meta with their references to other rom-coms over and over. There's a bunch of When Harry Met Sally, obviously, because Billy Crystal, I, we didn't say this up top, but Billy Crystal wrote this movie uh, yes. and produced it. So he has a lot of, you know, his fingerprints are all over it. And maybe that's why it gets a little, you know, too sentimental and a little cheesy at times. But they do, and in, when, in their introduction of John Cusack, Alan Arkin shows up playing his sort of wellness therapist. And that's the second time that Alan Arkin has played his therapist. Gross, he plays him in Gross Point Blank. And then you see it's a flashback to sort of John Cusack's psychic break, which is the reason why he's in this wellness center. And it's John Cusack standing in the rain, staring at Catherine Zeta-Jones as she's with another man, which is that scene is basically lifted right from High Fidelity. So it's like referencing the real life you know, of John Cusack's filmography and sort of painting this weird meta picture of who uh, his character is. But this is a scene I want to talk about because in the movie, Catherine Zeta-Jones is not very likable. She's always a bitch. She's always mean. But the movie seems to be saying that she is overreacting when John Cusack tries to kill her. And he very much drives a motorcycle through the window of a restaurant trying to hit her with a moving vehicle and look she comes off as a bitch a lot in this movie but she's not overreacting to that at all he tried to kill her i guess like in it's funny like i'm realizing in the eyes of the movie her having cheated on john cusack's character seems like the worst aggression like that seems yeah. like a worse transgression than driving a motorcycle through the window of a restaurant trying to kill your former mm -hmm. lover and her new partner to them, the cheating was worse. <laughs> it felt like, it's funny, like, it felt like the film started as, like, this send up or critique of Hollywood and its narcissism and its, like, bizarre approach to relationships for, you know, self-promotion at all costs. But then it just ended up, like, becoming its own monster. <laughs> like, just, yeah. In their eyes, she is supposed to be the, like, antagonist. And, the like, yeah, like, John Cusack drives a car <laughs> through a building and then i mean we may maybe we get this like some spoiler 
there's a scene where he envisions shooting her. Mm-hmm. And killing yeah. her. Oh my God. I forgot about that. <laughs> I feel like one of the biggest mistakes is not like going down that rabbit hole deeper. Like if this was a really dark really cynical movie and it they sort of touch on it again where stanley tucci is like could you get him to kill himself like that would be so amazing for the movie and it's like that's a very funny scene later on very uh, funny and i feel like if it it's you can't have that and also have this like really sentimental totally very yeah. routine rom-com and if you had really just gone deep down the, you would have had a much darker movie, but it would have been, I think, way funnier. Way funnier. Yeah, totally. And here's also where we meet the reason why Catherine Zeta Jones is leaving John Cusack. And I, we have to talk about the character that they affectionately refer to as the Spaniard for most of the movie. Hank Azaria doing just another one of his kooky awesome voices. Accent. Yeah. Yep. Do you think, like, that, that an accent of a. a this type of caricature of an accent of a Spanish person would get you canceled today. I don't know. I'm not sure where we stand with like, can you make fun of a Spanish accent? Yeah, I don't know. Cause it's Europe. <laughs> Good point. We should ask Calaria. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if it was Italian, it would be fine. <laughs> I feel like regardless, he didn't exactly play that character at the top of it. Which is weird. Uh, you know, Hank Azaria obviously has been in the news for this, these reasons a lot, especially because of, you know, him voicing Apu on The Simpsons, which he has since given up. I feel like it's important for everyone listening to know that the Spanish accent that Hank uses is like the Barcelona accent with the lisp, um, which it doesn't make any sense the way that the lisp is used in his accent. He just like willy nilly has a lisp across the board, even though he's speaking in English. Um, So like none of it really makes sense, but like, I think he was just like, this is the funnier Spanish accent. Mm. So I'm going to go with it. And I just feel like that's, that's important for everyone. The nineties was the peak time for accents are funny, regardless of what kind they are. If they're not just like, you know, continental connecticut american they are funny and being overweight is funny which we also get to in the flashback scene with julia roberts which i was watching and i felt exactly like someone saw monica from friends in the fat suit and was like oh my god they've cracked the code that's fucking hilarious let's just do that in our movie that was the exact reaction i had to that too because that's what it is you put me in the same yeah it a lot of this that i don't even want to say hasn't aged well because it feels weird to imply that it was ever okay okay. (laughs) like or that it was it it held up then but Mm -hmm. it it, it makes you aware of like how fat that moment in time was like it's crazy it's like her whole character arc is like that she lost 60 pounds and that's like stand in for her like character development when we meet mm-hmm. her like it ends up with a terrible man yeah <laughs> it's how it yeah the 90s was that was the, the comedy of this thing is different and that in itself is a joke the same thing in friends a lot is is gay people you know are used as the idea that chandler might possibly be gay that is a joke unto itself the idea that monica was fat once that is a joke and it's the same it's just 
someone has an accent that's funny it's yeah. just uh anything Deeply othering yeah. <laughs> yeah that was comedy you know um and it was that's why we all have to go to therapy because this is what we grew up with. <laughs> exactly we had this beamed into our eyes and ears constantly every day and you know i've watched this movie 50 60 times so i <laughs> You know, I, I have a lot of therapy to go to. Um, but we get all of our gang, Julia Roberts and Catherine Zeta-Jones and Hank Azaria and, and John Cusack and Billy Crystal. And we get all of them out into the middle of the desert. Billy Crystal sets up the junket in the desert so no one can escape. And that is why, um, and, and that here's where we're all sort of trapped. So everyone's sort of forced to be in this one location together. That was and- another throwaway that was just accepted. That it was just like, we should throw the junket at... A high in the middle of the desert like and everyone's just like all right great good idea like it doesn't seem totally necessary but point of the movie where i was like oh the high paid billy crystal to write <laughs> yeah. like to write this movie and then billy crystal called in a lot of favors to get this all-star cast and that that then called it a day yeah is this like this is high it's fun it really was. Oh, we also have to mention when Billy Crystal is trying to convince Catherine Zeta Jones to do the junket, there's a there's a gag that they do, which is I think all of the stuff that is the worst is not only the othering we've talked about, but all the physical comedy that they try to do. Cause this whole gag is just like, oh, this dog wants to lick my balls. I which was... I, I wouldn't have even brought up had it not been had it not come back at the very end as the button of the, the button, movie. I, the button to the entire movie. I showed up and it was the first thing I said to Krista was on my walk here, I was just revisiting how many crotch moments there were in this joke and how like of this specific point in time where just like things happening to people's crotches was very funny. Mm. And like, cause the dog, there's the dog trying to like bite his crotch or lick his balls or whatever it is. I guess, I mean, it's implied that the dog, that he's into it. I'm not the man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've known of dogs to be like crotch sniffers. That's like a thing they do. You sure. Know? Yeah. Um, but then there's also the prickly cactus crotch that happens to John oh, Cusack. Right. That... There's like a lot of crotch situations happening. Yeah. There's like a scene where John Cusack is is basically, it's another scene where we're just like, are we supposed to like this guy? Because he is trying to be a peeping Tom t- yeah. to look at his ex-wife or whatever. Catherine Zeta-Jones' character falls onto a cactus. And as he's pulling the prickers out of his crotch, it looks like he's jerking off, which is just another like physical gag that is really falls flat and is not good. And I, I, yeah. It was a bizarre, like I distinctly remember that scene. I mean, besides the bad gag, but there was also this like odd shift in the movie. Like the score totally changed. And this like, it just, it it turned so weird. It got, it turned like very like home alone burglar. And then it it just kind of like stayed for the rest of the movie. It was, uh, it was a very surprising turn. Yeah. The string music really sent me. I was like, what was this choice? It's so such a weird combination of types of humor because you've got these really terrible like base level physical gags and then you have some like the first 20 minutes is some really, you know, it's not genius, but it's like relatively smart satire of Hollywood and it, it's it's just really all over the place and has no idea like what 
from scene to scene, it's a different movie. And then, you know, Cusack's weird fantasy sequences are like completely from a different movie. One of the reasons why we needed the scene plot wise of him peeping Tom to Catherine Zeta-Jones is he, because he of course sees a woman from behind and he's like, that's the woman I love but he doesn't realize because she lost all the weight that that is our girl, Julia Roberts. And what is love? We're swapping one woman out for another. <laughs> and but. <laughs> then we get Julia going to talk to John Cusack to try to organize a meeting. And this is where we get the flashback to her in the fat suit, height of 90s comedy. But they also share a kiss. So it was like, even when she, before she lost the weight, there was some kind of a romantic connection. And then it flashes back to the present. I think this is the moment where Billy Crystal was like, okay, we need to drum up some sympathy for John Cusack. And they have him apologize to Julia Roberts for kissing her. And it's like, oh, did I take advantage of the situation? Which is like, yes, that is the right thing to do. But I think that is supposed to account for his like attempted murders and like stalking and all of the other like crazy shit. It's just, but he apologized for kissing her, you know, so. And at that time, that might've been enough. Wait, I feel like he apologize for kissing her or does he ask her if he kisses her? I feel like what happened is he's like, he doesn't remember that. And he's like, did we You're right. kiss? And she like kind of says no, or like brushes it off. So I feel like he actually doesn't outright apologize. He just right. admits that he has no memory of that interaction. But he does say, he does apologize for may- maybe I took advantage of the situation. He okay. says yeah. those. But words. I agree. He doesn't actually own it at all. So we move on. They're sort of, they have all these scenes together, Cusack and, and, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones meet up, they have a little talk, and then we get into the junket stuff where, you know, we get fake Roger Ebert, you know, and we get Rain Wilson playing sort of like a hoity-toity blogger type, and they're all interviewing, um, and Cusack's making all these jokes, and I think it's supposed to be teasing Hollywood and the self-seriousness of reviewers, but I just, I think this scene does not work at all. None of the jokes here really land. It's really niche to assume that a mass is going to care about like how press works. And like, it's hard for me to know that because I work in media, like how inside baseball this is, but it feels pretty insidery to me. And this only like took it more inside, like through these things. And they weren't like really presenting a clear point of view on how the audience was supposed to feel. And I was like, I don't know if my mom, for example, would care about what happens at a junket or really even like think about like what happened, like how press happens for movies or even know the word junket, maybe like it's such a like insidery industry term. And then you go back to the fact that like this movie is written by Billy Crystal. So like he's been in this industry forever. Mm. So especially pre-internet. You know, because yeah, all these clips like of interviews are showing access. up. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like to me, this felt like, oh, maybe Billy Crystal has been in the industry for too long and he's lost touch a little bit with a little bit with like what an audience actually cares about. Because I was just like not sure the entire time whether a normal person who does not work in media or Hollywood knows or cares about junkets. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I still think they probably don't now. I feel like what Billy Crystal did was he saw the movie Notting Hill and he saw the scene that's very charming where Hugh Grant pretends to be a journalist to talk to Julia Roberts at that junket and then was just like, 
misread it and was like, oh, the junket is the interesting part of that movie. <laughs> I feel like people love the glamour of Hollywood and feeling like they're close to Hollywood that even if they don't understand it, it maybe seems appealing or they want to think they understand it. It, to me, like watching it, it felt like the thing that happens when you're in comedy and your family members shares a crazy story and is like, you should write about that. That's crazy. And Billy Crystal was like, these things are crazy. <laughs> yeah, put that in and a skit. Progressively more just him being like, isn't this crazy? Billy Crystal's been in Hollywood for 30 years at the point of this movie being made. And uh, he just might not be as sharp but, as he used yeah. to be. He's to talk to some normies. He's in the one yeah. A lot Billy. of people junkets are. That's where. That's my stance on this. Billy, you want to write another movie? Give us a call. The three of us will help you out. We'll give you the inside scoop. I'll call my mom and I'll ask her if she knows about the stuff you want to write about. Yeah, it'll be sort of a real like a phone tag situation where you call me, I call my mom, my mom calls me back, and then I'll call you, fill you in. But like, listen, you don't want to have a direct line with my mom because like her texting is very erratic. So Cusack and Hank Azaria get into a big fist fight at a dinner party, and you need that because you need Cusack to just be a little, you know, have a little broken wing that someone needs to mend back in the hotel room. Who's going to do it? It's Julia Roberts. And then, you know, they get to smooch in and they uh, get it on. They wake up. Cusack starts to realize it's Julia who he likes. And then she says, can I use your toothbrush? Because she wants to brush her teeth. This blew my mind. Have you ever used a partner's toothbrush, period? And then how long were you dating that partner before you used? Because Mary has used my toothbrush, but it took years. And even then I was like, that sort of grosses me out. Yeah, I'm very anti-toothbrush sharing. I don't think I've ever done it. It's so gross and weird. Not brushing your teeth is less gross. Like her room can't be that far away. She can brush her teeth when she gets back to her room. Oh, but I guess, and also like they're like holding the covers up to their faces in bed, but I guess because she's worried, like it took me a really long time to understand that she was was worried about her breath. And then, but then she asked me this toothbrush and I was like, okay, if you're worried about them smelling your breath, you're that uncomfortable, but you're comfortable enough to use the toothbrush. That doesn't make sense. But everything that happens next, none of it makes sense to me, so. I agree because like all the next decisions and choices that she makes are crazy to me. Like she suddenly switches completely and like, well, I will get into this, but like her reaction to them having hooked up once yes, is, is like so outsized to me that now she thinks that like, yeah she thinks that they're like in a fully committed relationship basically and like so yeah so go ahead next scene yeah this is the very next scene so gwen who is Catherine zeta jones calls john cusack come over uh julia roberts goes back to where her and her sister are staying they all end up in the same place the night after they hooked up so Cusack and Catherine Zeta-Jones are sort of having an intimate conversation on the couch where Julia Roberts is in the back making breakfast eggs. for everyone. Making eggs. Eggs. Well, for them, not for herself, because she's yeah. now back in her assistant role because her yeah. sister. But she's a little more, you know, 
She's a little less taking people's shit now than she was before. She's pissed. And she's like eavesdropping on their conversation. And she's and Catherine Zeta-Jones is trying to figure out like what's the deal with Cusack and Julia Roberts is also, you know, like eavesdropping like what's the deal? And Gwen asks Cusack, Gwen is Catherine Zeta-Jones asks Cusack, uh, are you seeing anybody? And his response is not technically, which I think is like a pretty generous response. Because yeah. it means, I mean, I guess we slept together one time. We haven't talked about it, but yeah, not, not technically. Te- yeah, but it's like leaves the door open for, you know, something. It was also strange where that question came, came from. from. I, like, there's a point where like everything. It felt very to, planted. Yeah, yeah, everything had to be very forced to make this come together. But I agree. It was like a very bizarre question to ask and make him answer in a one night. Unless she suspected that she, he was seeing her sister. I think she's feeling him out because she wants to either give him the divorce papers or get back together to save her career, you know? Mm. Yeah, I guess I never felt the pull that Gwen, Catherine Jane Jones, actually ever really thought about getting back together with him. I feel like she, she, it never felt tr- like honest or real to me that she might get back together with him. It always felt like just a show. Yeah. I don't I mean, know. It's hard to know what we're meant to think because the movie is just not very good. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say in this scene, just the physical sort of stuff Julia Roberts is doing. And in the next scene where she gives John Cusack her big speech is like the woman you, you know, the woman you saw by that pool was me. Mm -hmm. The things that are happening in these scenes are not good and they're not written well. But this, I think, shows you the difference between a John Cusack, a Catherine Zeta-Jones who are like good actors and Julia Roberts, who's like a God tier level rom-com star. Cause she can just take shit and sell it in a way that I don't think they're very good, but they just can't, you rewatch some of her stuff and you're like, Oh my God, there's a reason why she became the most famous actress in the world. Like she has that, you know, charm that like God tier level that no one can get to besides like her mm-hmm. and two other people. Here's where we just talk about how much we love Julia. <laughs> it was the com- it was the combination of I think like and I'm not even a huge Julia Roberts fan but I think she's a good actress. So I think it was the combination of liking her and then just her character. I think I just wanted so much more for her in the entire film. Oh, the film's giving her nothing. Anything that anything that the character's doing is Julia's bringing to it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I was mad that they like made her be hysterical while overhearing while she was overhearing the conversation between her sister and John Cusack. Like, because I was like, this is just like, she, her character shouldn't be this irrational, but she like handled it well. She did like some fun, like physical comedy. And then she dumped eggs on everyone. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think she has so much charm that she can like, yeah. It's just funny that like, out of nowhere, she had like basically has this ultimatum for John Cusack, where she's mm-hmm. like, "You're my sister," and is after sleeping with him one time, and like never even having a conversation about their feelings for each other. Really, I think the only reason she's like having this reaction is because it's minute sixty, and they're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, all right, wrap it up." So then we get this insane scene where Cusack goes to the roof to jump because Gwen served him divorce papers, and. 
it's it's purely to set up another one of these like physical comedy gags where it's like Billy Crystal's running to save him, but the he opens the door too fast and he actually hits John Cusack over the roof. And now he's trying to throw him a lifeline, but it's a fire hose and it smacks him in the face and then he drops the fire and it's just like all of this fucking third rate Buster Keaton bullshit that is just really, really bad. Um, Very bad. It's also a weird transition for Billy Crystal's character to become like the hero of this because he has no vested interest in any of these characters at the beginning. He's just trying to save his career and then intentionally does stuff to just generate press. I guess maybe he has that one moment at the bar with Stanley Tucci about like questioning his moral like complicity in all of this and maybe that's supposed to be his turn he also leaked that video the video the surveillance video of cusack pulling the prickers out of his the cactus spines out of his crotch that makes it look like he's jerking off he leaks that to the press and Um, he created the fist fight scene didn't he somehow orchestrate that as well yeah he did so maybe like Maybe he's having remorse for those things. Like, I guess you're, you were kind of saying, Kristen, but like, it's very unclear that his character has had any growth or that he's like now suddenly having remorse for his complicity, like you said. Yeah, there's no scene of like, how am I taking this too far? Besides like that, that Stanley Tucci scene, which I actually think that's one of the few scenes that works where Stanley Tucci's like, oh, could we get him to kill himself? Like, <laughs> now we're getting towards like the end. Christopher Walken shows up. We haven't even mentioned that there's supposed to be this like plot of they don't have the movie. And that's why they're doing this whole junket and like trying to like stall reporters with all these like antics and things because they, the Christopher Walken is hoarding the movie and cutting it and they, no one has seen this movie yet. Um, but he finally shows up, does a screening and he says, I wrote this down. I don't, I don't have much to say about it, but he says this thing came to me like a bus in the street, Christopher Walken talking about his movie, I think. And I don't know, like any, if there are any zoomers out there in high school, it, that's a fucking yearbook quote, dog. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like a bus in the street. High school came to me like a bus. Like it in stopped the right in front of you, and the door opened. I don't know. It's I great do love though. The title of this movie, though, it's "Time Over Time," which I think is very fun. <laughs> yeah, I wish that this had been better. So the big reveal at the end is Christopher Walken. In the middle of the screening, his face pops up on screen and he says, I actually threw out the script because it was a piece of shit. And now I'm just filming like I have hit. It's a hidden camera found footage movie of actors working on their project. So the, the, the press gets to see the real Cusack and the real Catherine Zeta-Jones and the real Hank Azaria and like the real Julia Roberts, who's backstage and whatever. And now like every everything is coming to light. Everyone is revealing who they are because of this like secretly shot found footage movie. Um, and I feel like this was a real missed opportunity. Yeah, I feel like this, <laughs> this was so bizarre on so many levels. I just like, I, I don't know. I was like, if you want to just tie these characters up, there's a far better way to do it than it, it was, I don't know, uh, very strange, but it felt like if you're going to tease this movie and you've like, it's such a Chekhov's gun. If you've now set the like in the opening scene that we're in for a wild card of a movie, like you either have to find a way to not deliver that at all and still make it satisfying or really knock that out of the park. And it just took such a strange turn 
with this thing that instead I think just ended up doing a lot of the work that they didn't want to do in the film, which was like, just end these, put us all out of our misery and end these character arcs. I wish there was like one likable character in this movie. Like (laughs) maybe it's Seth Green. (laughs) Green or like the dog. I, I, maybe I'm like in the minority, but I didn't find I didn't like Catherine Zeta-Jones's character, but I don't think I disliked her nearly as much as the film, I think, wanted me to. I agree. I think that they're like, she's such a vapid, full of herself actress. Isn't that the worst person you can ever think of? Worse (laughs) than a murderer? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree that she's like, she doesn't. That's why this scene needed to show she also was like a horrendous racist or something. You know, like we needed her to yeah. be worse. Yeah. yeah. It didn't, I guess coming out of the scene, I'm not sure like from entering the scene to leaving what we learned or what it did to change the story because we knew that she she cheated and she yeah. was vapid and she was only with people to advance her career. We knew that, that there was a history with John Cusack and Julia Roberts. We don't see that much of it in the background. We knew Stanley Tucci hated this director and you know knew this was going to be a disaster so like cemented everything we already knew versus we were dealing with right and i feel like the characters knew this too and then the press like is briefly scandalized but then ends up loving Catherine zeta jones anyway so there's not i I get i like really don't know what we like learn coming out of this that justifies putting us through (laughs) that, that screening Really, the whole thing is it just gives us a big public moment so Cusack can publicly declare his love for Julia Roberts, which is like you need a big audience for that kind of thing, which, you know, I love rom-coms. I love a big public display of, you know, affection. But yeah, this just did nothing for me anymore. You know, you've seen a movie 90, 100 times and it just doesn't. You know, it doesn't work anymore. And that's America's Sweethearts. Um, there it is. All right, let's get into some segments. So our first segment, I like to call Q-Snack. That's where we, you know, we decide Q-Sack in this movie. See a snack? I really spent a lot of the film marveling at how stiff his hair was. And it felt like that really took me out of it at a few points. But particularly in the scene where he is, like envisioning shooting Catherine Zeta-Jones because you just see his profile against the moonlight and it is like like the entire top part is just like this tuft that sticks like up. a Jimmy Neutron yeah or no so. like like a Sonic the Hedgehog kind of vibe <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna say not a not a snack just based on that I might hate myself for this a little bit but like I felt like the whole time I was kind of asking myself if I was him or not which means like on some level i was right mm, like i wasn't mm-hmm, like no mm-hmm. that means there's a little bit of a yes so is he full snack maybe he's like a little nibble like he's like some raisins yeah he's some raisins and a cute little box we at cusack nation we can live with that Next segment, is this one of the 10 movies he likes? So he's been quoted in The Guardian saying, I've made 10 good films. I'm sure you know which ones they are. The ones that suck, I tend to blank out. It's like I never even made them. So we here at Pod Cusack are trying to figure out which 10 we think those are. So far, we have 10 slots that we're trying to fill. We have two filled. One is Being John Malkovich, 
we know for a fact he likes. And one, we have a pretty good hunch that he likes Stand By Me. And so we have seven, uh, eight open slots. Do we think that this is one of the films he thinks is good? I'm tempted to say yes, because he probably had a lot of fun doing this movie because it's very like insidery and it's a stacked cast. And so that probably made everyone feel like really fun. It's like when you do a comedy show that's kind of just for you and like mm. the audience is like, that's how this movie felt to me. Like they were doing it for them and the audience was like a second thought. And that's like, makes me think that maybe he would like it for himself, even like if it has 30, whatever percent it has on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. So that's my argument for it potentially being a, a fave. Okay. I, I could see that. I would, I would support that argument. I feel like that has, I feel like some actors do enjoy, it probably is your like experience on set or you're paying with your friends. I, and having seen one John Cusack film now, I feel like I can't exactly judge, but I want to say it would maybe not be in the top 10 great if he's like defining, if he had to actually rank them. Um, Maybe he would think of it as just like a good time and people were being too harsh on it and shouldn't have expected more. Okay, so I, I, I'm going to tend towards Kristen's. I don't think it is. Um, and not- part of it is because, you know, I sort of, I feel like I'm really getting into Cusack's head over the course of doing this project. I, I think yeah, share I your wisdom. We're Cusack newbies, so. I think he's very cynical, and I think he's very, um, he's also really hard on himself. He doesn't like much of what he does, and I think he doesn't really respect sort of, main a lot of mainstream cinema one of the segments we normally do it's actually a brand new segment it just started last week but it's called uh, q's tweets where he's very active on twitter so i i search his twitter and then the name yeah he's very active on twitter he he responds to a lot of fans so last week you know i looked up the name of the movie we did and then his twitter and saw if there were any like if he actually talks about it and for the most part he talks about a lot of his movies there's no mention of him ever mentioning this movie which makes me think (laughs) okay to you guys point he probably knows this film isn't a great even though he probably had a lot of fun doing it I think that's that's a safe bet. So we'll, let's leave it off the top 10 for now. Our next segment is called Coffee, Tea, Me, in honor of the woman who spoke those famous words in the film Working Girl, Joan Cusack. This is a segment where we decide if Joan Cusack was in this movie, who do we think she should play? Um, can I Google image search her? Really yeah, quick. Yeah. <laughs> Can I look? <laughs> so Joan Cusack was the principal in School of Rock. Oh, I fucking love her. Yeah, she's great. She's honest. You know. Oh my god. Yeah. Arguably more more beloved than John. Yeah. I feel like in a movie like this, she would want just a really fun character to play. Um, Maybe she- like a good Stanley Tucci. Yeah. That would be fun. I think that would be fun. Because she gets dark in some of her movies and like she would, I think she would have a lot. That's, that's a meaty. It was big, you know. Yeah. It would probably be cathartic to play like an asshole mm-hmm. exec. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2001 Hollywood ready for a female exec? 
Probably not, mm-hmm. frankly. I don't know. But yeah. I think she's I don't think this, I think this movie predates the girl boss. So it does predate the girl boss. All right, let's go to our next segment called tales from the trivia page. This is where I go to the IMDB trivia page and see if I find anything worth repeating. I found three fun facts. Number one, Julia Roberts turned down the lead role for the supporting one. That must mean she turned down the Catherine Zeta Jones part for her part. But also I think she has, she might not have as much screen time, but she definitely, I would consider that probably the lead role since she ends up I agree. with the guy. If it's a love story, if it's a rom-com and she's the one who ends up with the guy, that's the lead to me. Yeah. And also, has Julia Roberts ever played like a stone cold bitch? Yeah. I was going to say that just went well no. for her. Yeah. She's got that Tom Hanks thing where she's just like, yeah. Nice. You can't believe it. All right, next fact. Billy Crystal wrote the part of Eddie for himself. Not surprised. Uh, but but years in the early 90s, he wrote it for himself. And then by the time the movie was getting made, the producer convinced him to take the publicist because he was like, you're just too old, brother. So, oh. And Billy Crystal actually wrote the movie for him and Meg Ryan. So he wanted him and Meg to like be reprising their romance from oh billy come on i don't think meg would have worked either as like the stone cold bitch but and then here's one other sort of casting what if is uh, robert downey jr was originally slated to play eddie and then you know all the legal problems made him uninsurable so they they cast john cusack that tracks i think robert downey jr would have been really good yeah he's like fast talking he's also a little crazy and especially this like the younger robert downey jr pre-iron man before we had all the warm fuzzy feelings about rdj if if we do i don't know but um i think that would have been like an act a very good role for him i feel like he could have played it with more of like a wink to the audience like a bit more cheeky than john like john cuse i definitely like dipped a bit more into like too much into the emo which Mm-hmm. Yeah. the really intense scenes were disturbing whereas I feel like if they had like between like Christopher Walken and Robert Downey Jr. and Stanley Tucci like that just kind of then it swings the film back up to like a bit more of that like yeah. insane satire you know yeah. satire that I think would have made it work much better yeah it's it Cusack brings a sincerity to it yeah. that I think yeah. harms it in this particular instance yeah you're right his theory makes the like psychotic break things like way too you're just like oh (laughs) let's go to the last segment called things i like things i hate things i think are weird Catherine, what's one thing you like about this movie i like that once they get to the hyatt it's like a one location film where like all these antics are taking place within a hotel i think that's a fun dynamic um there's golf carts like I, I don't know I just like when everything's like taking place in, in one place I think that's fun when they're driving to the Hyatt we get some really stunning desert shots <laughs> <laughs> so you like you like the b-roll she is a b-roll hound Strickland Every, anytime you take her anywhere she's talking about the b-roll it was, I put, I took notes in like my little note app in my phone. And that the first note I took was, this is beautiful scenery. <laughs> but it, 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 
kind of extent, like it, yeah. there's quite a bit of it uh, before they get out and have this like exchange in the desert. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that. They are in the car for a long time. Yeah. I mean, we skipped over that whole limo back and forth. Cause I was just like, this is just not we can't go, like, so yeah. too many things happened in this movie. I really like when they do pull up to the Hyatt, um, the needle drop as, as Catherine Zeta Jones is walking from her limo to the hotel, it's the Eagles witchy woman. So we know the audience that she is a little bit of a witchy woman. You know what I mean? I actually like, now that you're saying that I'm forgetting that they're actual like songs in the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. All that's burning to my mind is like the weird string soundtrack they put in there. Oh, yeah. uh, what's one thing you hate, Catherine? One thing I hate very hard for me to watch was the camera footage of, of John pulling out the prickles and the sound he was making. Mm. I like couldn't look or listen. Cause he, he was like owieing. He was like, Oh, Oh, cause he's like pulling these cactus prickles out of his pants. And it was too Just violent. That whole scene. Well, like it was cringy because it was so bad and the physical comedy was so bad and like not landing, but also just like the fact that they were trying to like, audibly like orally replicate the sound of masturbating too like him i don't know everything about that scene i really hated <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kristen that's what he hated hated the time over time i just sitting through that film <laughs> yeah. was so disappointing and it just i don't know it just felt like it was such a, even if it didn't say anything at least just show us a bad version of this film but to like give us weird hidden camera footage that was like also bad and didn't even have any like there wasn't even a fun hidden camera gag that was thrown in there of like someone stealing food from concession or something like that it was like i don't know i that really like that was the point where i got like pretty pissed that's really rough uh, I'm. I hate the fat suit. I hate Julia in the fat suit. I hate that that's a plot point. It's. I. It's just. It doesn't work on any level at, at all. Agreed. Valid. Yeah. I really just hate everything that they did for her character. She deserves so much. Yeah. It's a. Yeah. It's a really waste of one of like the most charming people who's ever lived. What's one thing we think is weird? You know what's weird to me, and we haven't talked about this, is like this whole thing is about like the press receiving some version of this movie or like building up the press for this movie. We never see a single headline or like, we never understand how this really reverberates beyond the walls of the Hyatt. Like you'd think there'd be some montage where it's like, you see like a tabloid. I don't know. You just think that like, that's the whole point of the movie. We never actually see that play out as like what the press effect of this is um, beyond the like really bad junket montage. Yeah, you would think we would get a montage of like the fallout and like, you know, her next movie and his next movie and just right. like the next whatever six Which months. Which again, like lives. the point of like my mom not knowing what a junket is, probably I'll ask her after this. Um, yeah, yeah. Fill like us that's in. the thing that a normal person knows about is which is like who's in the tabloids and why and like that sort of stuff. And like we never see any of that. Call your mom, ask her what a junket is, then call me and leave a voicemail on my phone and I'll throw okay. it in it. I'll throw, okay. I'll, cut, I'll cut it in now. Hey Strickland, it's Catherine. Um, I just called my mom. We had a little lovely catch up and I asked her if she knew what a junket was. And her response was, isn't that a kind of plane? 
um, like an airplane. And I said, I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Um, I asked her if she knew what a press junket was. She said, no, I have no idea what that is. Um, I think this entirely confirms my hunch that normal people do not know what junkets are, and thus the movie American Sweethearts is inside baseball. And, um, oh, I did look up what a, what a flight junket is or a plane junket, and it looks like there are flights that specifically go to casinos and are, like, part of some all-inclusive package. Um, so, you know, that's something else to investigate entirely, but, you know, that's for another episode of the podcast. Um Hope this was helpful. Hey, Strickland, and me again. Um, I decided that even though my mom's opinion is the only opinion that matters to me in the entire world, because she's perfect, that I would pull a few people beyond her so our sample size isn't one person. Um, I asked a group of my friends, and one of my friends said that she knows what a press junket is specifically because of the movie America's Sweetheart. And Stanley Tucci, she specifically cited Stanley Tucci and said, it all comes back to Tucci. Um, so maybe I'm not giving the film enough credit as truly an educational material um, that could open people's eyes to what the word junket is. Um, and that's on me. Um, and maybe I'm underestimating what, what the world was ready for and what the people in 2001 were ready for. Um, also, I want to clarify an earlier point. My mom didn't say, um, isn't that a kind of plane? She said, isn't that a kind of flight? So she actually was totally correct. Um, and it makes me wonder if my mom has a secret gambling life if she knows what a junket flight is. Um, which I guess it will be a later conversation between me and my mom. Okay, bye. <laughs> all right i mean that's, that's that's all i have any final thoughts on america's sweethearts would you recommend anyone see this would you recommend it as like a hangover movie i would like maybe as a hangover movie if if you just want to be like just utterly shocked that a movie exists and was made like that's when i would recommend it or like you want like a, like maybe you eat a weed gummy and you're like ready to just be like what the fuck am I watching? That's when I'd recommend it. Any other situation, sober, like I guess, yeah, just no, absolutely not. Yeah, Kristen, I feel like there's you know a time and place for any movie if you're in the right headspace. So I don't want to totally write it off. I I think I obviously like did a little bit more than the two of you. I will say that a lot of it has not aged well at all. And I will say if you really love those kind of screwball comedies from like the 30s and 40s and you want to see someone try to attempt one of those with, mm -hmm. you know, a who's who of famous actors of the 90s, then, you know, I would say it's like a hangover type movie. I wasn't mad when I was watching the movie. I was confused I was just like, how did this get made? But like, not in like an upset way. I was just like, okay. Like I, I was, I enjoyed watching it. That's fair. Yeah, I wasn't angry watching it. And I, it didn't end and I, I didn't feel like robbed of the hours I spent watching it, but I did think, oh, that's what I did tonight. <laughs> well, I really appreciate both of you giving me, you know, a total of like, three and a half hours of your time thank you so yeah. much for being on the podcast uh Kristen where can we find you on the internet do you have anything uh, you want to plug 
Uh, you can't. I'm like really unplugged at the moment, but you can email me if you want to get in touch. <laughs> she has a LinkedIn and I don't know why she's not saying that. Yeah. I do. I do have a, if, yeah, if you want to become a part of my professional network, send me an email and we can connect. <laughs> Otherwise, Is that email LinkedIn's me. like patented message technology? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You don't, wow. you don't, so you don't email as much as in mail. Wow. Like, but Very yeah, lowchristian cool. at gmail.com. Otherwise, um, I don't know. You can catch me paddling out into the ocean on the weekends tonight. Are you a big time surfer? Uh, kind of getting into surfing, uh, more paddleboarding. Uh, Mahalo. Catherine, where can we find you on the internet? Um, you can find me using Facebook Marketplace to create scenarios where I get to interact with strangers because I don't get to do that in my normal life anymore. So I don't know, sell me something or buy something for me on Facebook Marketplace. I recently moved, so I had been like buying and selling some furniture. Um, it's the only good use of Facebook. It's the only time I ever log on. I think Marketplace is great. And I think I had a really great uplifting conversation with a girl I sold a desk to. Um, so yeah, I guess find me on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> I feel like we're gonna listen to this five years from now and be like, ah, uh, there's the effects of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're gonna be like, oh, they were a little bit off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can find both of my lovely guests if you Google viral the web series and you can find the great web series that they wrote, acted that in, act produced. Directed. I did I did direct it, but uh, they created it and uh, it's lovely and amazing. So if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to LinkedIn, Facebook message and watch viral the web series. That's Pod Cusack. And as always, John, we miss you. We love you. Stay safe. Johnny, 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 Johnny,